0: In my career, I've never pursued career as an end. Um, in other words, I, there never at any point in my life have I woken up and said, boy, I really want to be the CEO of an insurance company. I think I've woken up saying, how can I do my job to the best of my ability right now? And then that will lead to whatever happens.
1: Welcome to Undiscussed, the show where we talk about things Christians should talk about but often don't.
2: This week we discuss career and money with our guest, Ryan Michelle. Well, welcome to Undiscussed. I'm Eric.
1: And I'm Patrick.
2: And uh, this is a show where we talk about the things that Christians should talk about but don't necessarily.
1: Yeah, and that doesn't mean that uh, the topics we talk about are like, you know, you've never heard them spoken of before. Maybe sometimes in your church, people talk about it. Uh, maybe you've never heard anyone talk about it. But overall, no matter what um, like circle of Christianity you're in, there are certain things that your circle probably doesn't talk about uh, very often. So we're trying to cover a wide range of those topics.
2: Or, or maybe even just as much as they should. And in the end, all we're hoping to really do is to start that conversation or keep that conversation going. And so if this podcast can, can help you by spurring a conversation on with your friends or, or people in your community, that, that's Awesome, and that's what we're looking for.
1: Yeah, um, we're not trying to close the book on the dis- these discussions, or we're not experts, um, as by now you're probably clearly fully aware. We just like to talk about things, and we want to give a platform for those things to be talked about uh, more openly and with less stigma, I guess you could say.
2: Today, we're joined by Ryan Michelle, and uh, we are definitely in good hands with him. He got the pun there, uh, because Ryan is president and CEO of Allstate Canada.
1: Yep, and uh, we're really excited to have him here. Ryan, thank you for joining us on the show.
2: Thanks, Eric.
0: Thanks, Pat, for having me.
1: Yeah, it's great to talk to you here. So um, the topic we're we're discussing today, uh, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B of money and vocation, and uh, money is a topic that I think uh, a lot of people um, s- feel like we don't talk about enough and maybe don't necessarily want to talk about themselves. Uh, do you find that that's true for you, too?
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, I definitely think there's something in this culture and the way we're wired that talking about money means something more than just spending money. It means talking about our values and our heart. And uh, that always touches on a bit of a nerve for people, right? Like there's a there's a big disclosure part there. So it's not easy.
1: Yeah, it was definitely one of the the top things that people mentioned when... Actually, I went online, I went to a forum, and I, I, put, I put in, what do you wish Christians would talk more about? And it was in a Christianity forum. And funnily enough, the top one was usury. Is that how you pronounce that? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like... Usury. I mean, should I know that, how to pronounce that? Is that how you... That is how you pronounce it, it's like
2: interest, and it's basically how credit card companies make their money. Yeah, and I was like,
1: this was the most upvoted. So not only did this guy suggest it, but many people backed him up and it pushed that question to the top. And I'm like, well, I guess I could translate that to money in general, and maybe talk about it on the show.
2: It's it's a fun word, if nothing else. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But uh, before we dive into that topic, maybe we could learn a little bit about you, like your background, where you come from, education, all those sorts of things.
0: Sure. Uh, originally, I'm from the Chicago area, actually, uh, from down in the states, and uh, my family and I moved here about eight years ago uh, to Toronto. Uh, and uh, it was with a job, John change. And um, you know, if you go back a little ways, I went to university in the states at a small school outside Chicago, and uh, my first role was working for Allstate as an actuary. If you know what that means, anybody know what actuary means?
2: Uh, statistical analysis of bad things happening.
0: That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Risk analysis. Right. And uh, and my role was I started at Allstate uh, was figuring out what are the probabilities that people are going to get in a car accident and how much is that going to cost? And then translating that into uh, what prices do people pay for auto insurance on a on an annual basis?
1: Is that something you wanted to get into, or did it kind of just end <laughs> up that way? I mean, I'm sure it's interesting to lots of people. <laughs> sure, someone wants
2: to get into that.
0: <laughs> you would be amazed at how many people I meet at work that wanted to get into auto insurance. No, that very very few people get into insurance uh, because that's been the love of their life and their dream, and uh, I am no exception. Uh, in fact, uh, if I go back to those university days, my last year of university, I got engaged. Uh, to who is now my wife. And uh, with like four months to go before I graduate, I said, wow, I'm getting married. I probably should get a job.
2: That's good advice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I, That meant a lot to my in-laws as well. So oh, yeah, yeah. my wife still had another six months to go of school. And um, when I was out interviewing uh, for positions, most of the ones I interviewed for were, were traveling. In fact, all of them, except for this one at Allstate, there were consulting type roles and I'd be gone four or five days a week. And I said, you know what? I'm getting married. Probably not the best route to go. Uh, and so I picked the local option. Uh, and I said, you know what? This is not a good way to start my uh, my marriage if I'm going to be traveling. So let me pick something local. I'm not going to have to move around. Uh, and honestly, that's how I, I chose the gig.
2: Uh, been a great fit. Yeah. But uh, But that was how it started. So a curiosity question that I have, so I have a brother-in-law, the way I know what actuaries do is because I call him one because he's constantly telling me and his kids and everyone around him, that's risky, stop. And, (laughs) and, And so is that worn off on you? Are you risk averse as a result?
0: You know, I think probably in that early decision, I think I probably am a risk averse person uh, in some ways. And, uh, and even that decision of saying, Hey, I don't want to jeopardize my marriage right out of the gate. I'm going to pick something that might be a little safer, even though I have no idea what this is.
1: Mm-hmm. And now you're in Canada. Uh, tell us a little bit about that transition. Yeah. Why the- you left the land of amazing deep dish pizza for <laughs> whatever it is we're known for here in Toronto.
0: Well, I did work for Allstate for about five years right away, and then transitioned actually to, uh, another company, uh, in a different place in the States, in Ohio, uh, for a few years. Did something that was still actuarial in nature, but a little bit different, and uh, finished my actuarial exams down there, and then decided, hey, I want to go on to graduate school. And uh, At that point in time, Allstate was interested in having me come back, and so I came back to the Chicago area, went to graduate school, uh, and when I finished that, said, hey, they said, hey, there's an opportunity for you to go to Canada. And by this time, I had uh, five children, and my wife and I had always been really interested in working outside the states. That has been something that from before we were married, in fact, how we we met each other was outside of the states. Um, And we were like, Toronto is perfect. Uh, My wife's a francophone. uh, We can still drive back to see family when needed. And it is a different culture. We knew that and we really embraced that opportunity to to be here. So, Little did we know how good of a fit was going to be we, initially folks at work. were like, Hey, you'll go there for a couple of years. Then we'll probably pull you back into a different role. And, uh, we've really had the fortune of staying on and now being here for eight plus years. Right.
2: Well, you can't be too risk averse with uh, five kids and uh, a big move <laughs> out of a culture. What's taking up a lot of your time right now? What did, what are the big things for you? I mean, obviously children and family, but, uh,
0: yeah, um, well, work has always happened. The kids are always hopping too. We actually did just get as a family a puppy.
2: Oh yeah. So Pat loves to talk about puppies. So you guys are.
1: Oh man, this has been great. For the last couple of <laughs> months, I just keep gushing at work about how I'm a new parent and how I can relate to all of the parents who actually have real human babies. And uh, it probably annoys them quite a bit, but that kind of makes me laugh. So <laughs> well
2: recently with all the uh, was uh, get ba- going back to school season. And uh, people were posting the first day of school pics, and uh, Pat got in there with a picture of him and his puppy at the market.
1: You yeah, know? I had my backpack on. We were both looking real proud, and I'm like, yeah, this is us. That's great. <laughs> first day back to nowhere.
0: It was funny. We were at uh, the Brickworks, which is a, a pretty popular spot here in Toronto, and we took family pictures there uh, two weekends ago. And everybody's like, we didn't bring the dog. Yeah. And so this last Saturday, we went up and took her to the same spot that we took family pictures and just, just so took pictures of her. Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's very high on my wife's list to get a Christmas photo with Santa with a dog this year. I don't know if Santa will be uh, <laughs> as excited about that as, as she is, but uh, yeah, quickly the dog becomes a, a very important part of the family, especially in the puppy stage when you're making those bonds, even though they're eating everything in your house.
0: Now, my wife and I had a dog when we first got married and it was not a very successful run. For whatever reason, dog was really high energy and, and probably somewhat of a typical story. When we had our first child, we were like, all right, this is this is not going to work. Um, and so we were recently, I was recently walking around the block with one of my youngest kids. I have twins that are the youngest. And he's like, you know what, Dad, I'm really glad that you and Mom had Tucker way back then. And I said, really, why? He's like, yeah, because all those mistakes you guys made, you're, <laughs> not, you're now going to learn from them now that we have VIA.
1: Experience, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wise, was, wise beyond yeah. his years.
2: That was pretty good for a yeah, 10-year-old that's, that's boy. Yeah.
1: More insight than I had getting my dog. I'm like, <laughs> I should have learned not to have one after the first one that we had as a family. It's all good. Yeah.
2: There you go. So, you've touched a bit on career and, and how you kind of moved around from Chicago to Ohio and now here. What um, what would you say are the... Um, markers in your life that that shape your goals for for where you want to take your career how how you developed your career
0: yeah that's a great question you know i think uh, and this ties back to the money question a little bit too but when you acknowledge god as the giver of all things right giver of your talents giver of your time giver of your resources including money um that colors all of your decision making. And I think about that from a career perspective in that, all right, I tried to prioritize him first in the job that I took. I think about how I use my time at work. I think about how I use my skills and try to marry those things up and saying, I'm going to give the very best of what I've got for whatever God you desire, right? Understanding that there's a foundation of values that he has for my life. And I simply have to live into those. And so For me, the career pursuit is really not so different than pursuing what God wants for me to its very fullest.
2: So do do you see, uh, any contradiction between, uh, pursuing success in your career, pursuing, um, like advancement and all of those things, climbing and, the
1: corporate ladder and the Christian life.
2: Yeah, like are are those things dichotomous, or is there a way to marry them together? Yeah, it, it, that's a really good question because I think the question is what is the means and what is the
0: end? A little bit right. Uh, in my career, I've never pursued career as an end. Um, in other words. There, never at any point in my life have I woken up and said, boy, I really want to be the CEO of an insurance company. That has never happened. Um, I've never said I want to be number one on the totem pole. That just hasn't been an aspiration of mine. I think I've woken up saying, how can I do my job to the best of my ability right now? And then that will lead to whatever happens. Um, and, and I can say that with all sincerity, you know, coming to Canada, there were actually folks that advised me, why do you want to do that? The opportunities with Allstate as an enterprise,
1: they're all in the States. So it was perceived by your peers as like a downgrade to be moving to Toronto as opposed to sitting in, uh, staying in the U S.
0: Yeah. I had a, I had a very frank conversation with somebody who said, Hey, you know what, when you come, when you go to Canada, you better make sure you find a replacement for your job up there because you got to find your way back here because you need to continue your career in this and that. And uh, I, I didn't see it that way at all. I said, hey, you know what? Here's a great opportunity for me to learn, for me to participate uh, and advance a part of the organization uh, that other folks feel like I can add value to. And I'm going to add as much value as I can there and let that take care of itself. Um, and when I came to Canada, I should specify too that I didn't come in this role as, as CEO here. Yeah, uh, I was
2: like, how can CEO of, uh, yeah. entire be a downgrade, but
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. When I first came up, I was leading part of our insurance product organization and it wasn't an actuarial role. It was a little bit broader than that, but it wasn't a CEO. Uh, and the expectation would be that I would take my experience and lead a different part of the product organization, perhaps in the, in the United States. Uh, but I've loved it here and I contributed well and I learned more about the Canadian operation and, and that eventually led to me able to, to lead here, but that was not my aspiration.
1: So, what were some of the things that actually did lead to um, becoming a CEO? I mean, I, people are are often groomed, right, to to become a CEO of a company. Someone takes them under their wing. Is that how it worked for you?
0: Yeah, for me, I think it's been um, uh, there has been a bit of grooming. I've been fortunate to have folks who I have worked for and with who have seen my curiosity, uh, and and I'll lead it. Uh, you know, this is advice that I give folks who start out uh, at Allstate is. Always be curious and want to learn. That that is, to me, the number one thing. We don't know everything. I don't know everything. I rely on other people to know a ton of things because I'm never going to be the expert in everything. But I'm always curious. So I spend a lot of my days just asking questions. What was it like interacting with the customer? Or What's getting in your way? Or what could we do differently in your particular area? Um, So asking questions and being curious is number one. Uh, Number two is think about learning what, your boss is learning, right? Because he's got a whole different vantage, vantage and perspective. I may know a whole lot about pricing auto insurance, but you know what? He may know more about marketing auto insurance and he needs to figure out how to connect marketing with my pricing or how do I settle claims? And he's got to connect that whole thing. And if I can learn more about what he or she is trying to figure out, then that's going to help me become a better business person. And so I've always tried to just learn. And then if I'm also very cognizant of learning what uh, what my boss or what the manager learns, then I'm going to learn more about the business in general. And so that's been something that I think is just naturally, I haven't didn't set out to do that, but naturally has helped me grow my career.
1: Yeah, I want to ask you about something that you mentioned earlier about having the mindset of uh, God being like the giver of all these good gifts and you being a steward. Um, And just recognizing that, you know, it's just a blessing from God to have all that we have. I know there's probably a lot of people who are going to be listening to this who really have like a lot of ambition and drive and uh, feel like even as Christians, maybe that it's not... Wrong to you know have pride in what you've done and accomplished, and even feel like no, I've worked hard for what I like, what I've got. I've even heard non Christians say like, oh, like if you, when you give like glory to God, you're like removing any any you know hard work and effort that you put into it because it's all it's all about um, like what God did, regardless. But can you ha- can you strike a healthy balance as a Christian of like having that huge career ambition and drive to to do better to excel uh, while also having that humble spirit of, of knowing that God, um, you know, worked through you.
0: Yeah. And I, I think recently I've read a couple of books by a guy named, uh, Andy Crouch, who, um, boy, I really enjoy his perspective on on some of these things. But I, one of my read recently was around playing God and it was around power. And a theme that he tends to come back to is God is a creative God and he's imbued in us as humans, the ability to create, And it's not to create for the sake of creating, although there's value there, but we create to make the world a better place. When I go to Allstate, I think about what kind of things can we provide for people that they can't do on their own and how can we do it better and better and better? And the end for me isn't, oh, I can become CEO or I can lead this many people, but it's can I be in a position where I can change people's experience? Um, you know, I'll give you an example, and this is not to be a plug for all state, but that's okay. Many people think about Allstate as an insurance company, and that's true. Uh, we provide insurance, but more broadly than that, we protect people. And we also want to be part of preventing calamities from hitting their lives. You know, when a tornado hits their town, we show up with teddy bears and then we have money and we have connections to help rebuild their homes. That's a fantastic thing, but there's also opportunities for us to say, Hey, how can we better build and protect your home from even suffering the consequences of some of these severe windstorms that come through? And we can do that better than anybody because we've studied the effects of windstorms. We know how to rebuild homes. And so how can we continue to add value and create value that, you know, helps people manage the personal risks in their lives? And I get excited about that, even though that sounds strange, because the the average person probably isn't thinking about that day to day and because we have expertise that we can add. Um, and if we can do it better, then great. That creates a better business, right? That's a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, I resonate with that. Was it the the book Culture Making?
0: Culture making was one I read too. Yeah, it was a great one.
1: Yeah. I, I gleaned a lot of those similar uh, ideas from that book too, just from the idea of like creativity, not being limited to like creative fields, like as image bearers of God, we are inherently creative and we should lean into that. And it's great to hear how you can do that as uh, as like an actuary or someone who works in all states, just to be just a creative individual and bringing good things into other people's lives.
0: Yeah. Businesses create value. You know, and I love commerce. I love business. And, There are times when there are um, value extracting businesses, right? They're like, hey, how can we suck money from consumers or a a process? And then there's other times when it's a value creation. And you think about some of the beautiful things, and I'll I'll plug some other companies. I think about like the Ubers of the world. They're like, wow, we can make transportation easier, more efficient, uh, less cars on the road potentially, who knows? That's a beautiful innovation that has added a ton of value to people's lives. Um, and so there's a, there's a beauty there in the way that people can create and innovate that I think, uh, if you're participating in that, that's a lot of fun, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, that's a lot of fun. Cause you're thinking about innovative and new ways to do things, even if it might seem as mundane as insurance, even though that's, uh, not so mundane to me.
2: I, I wonder, um, those are a lot of the positive sides. I wonder maybe a bit about the shadow side, um, when I think about, career often it's a struggle for people it can be an idol or uh, it's something they set up in their lives that they you know sacrifice family or time or or uh too much uh it becomes kind of a god thing in their life not just a good thing and i wonder if you could comment on uh your experience with that how you see that around you and and kind of some of that
0: yeah, definitely, and and I would say even with the best of intentions, um, I certainly have fallen prey prey to those. You know, I think about I, I mentioned earlier that I came back and I went to graduate school. Well, the time that I spent between work and graduate school, which was part time, that consumed a ton of my life back then. Uh, and it was at the cost of a lot of the things that my wife probably needed for me with so many young kids that we had. And we have that discussion and there are times when things get unbalanced. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and I've got to keep myself on check to say, is this just for a season or are you enslaved to an idol of achievement uh, in your life? Um, and even though I know what God desires of me, uh, it's, it's easy to get off kilter.
1: How do you tell the difference in your experience of um, like thinking either something's a season or it might be like a, a a habit in your life or like an idol in your life that's manifesting and actually will never go away? I think a lot of us think, you oh, know, it's a season for now. It'll pass and then it never does. How do you tell those apart in your experience?
0: Oh, yeah, I think it's easy. You know, our hearts are sinful. I think it's easy for us to fool ourselves. And so I think because of that, you need to have... You need to be surrounded by a few different things. One is uh, certainly understanding what God desires. And I I mentioned books like Andy Crouch is a good one. Reading the scripture, reading biblically-based books to make you pause and think about what is it that your heart really desires versus what it's acting on, its desires. And then I think something, besides having good input for your lives, also thinking about input from a people perspective and community. Like I'm really fortunate to have Actually, a number of friends from university who I get together with uh, annually. And we are on all different walks of lives and we live in all different places uh, at different times in different parts of the world. And we get together and we can ask us some of the questions like you guys are asking on this podcast. What are things that are undiscussed? Right. And we've committed to ourselves. Let's bring these things forward and we can call each other out on stuff that may not be true. So having community around you that isn't afraid to challenge you and say, Look this is not consistent with
2: what we thought that you really stood for. That takes a tremendous amount of vulnerability. Um, that's not necessarily the topic of today, but I want to ask you, like, how do you cultivate such a ability to be vulnerable with a group of people or um, in your experience? It,
0: yeah, it's a it's a great question. I think there has to be some fundamental, consistent beliefs across the group and, and for us, Uh, believing in Christ and knowing that we are fallen, sinful, wrong people has to be, has to be core, right? Like anything that we're able to do or anything that we're given is that of grace. And there's an inherent humility, I think, that's there that says, you know what, no matter if you're CEO or you're managing something or if you're starting something out or if you're unemployed, in the heart of who we are, we need God and we, we do tend to go astray. And so I can have somebody who's, between jobs, who's a dear friend of mine from university, say, Ryan, something's something's not working there. And I can take that sincerely to heart because I have great trust in who this who this guy is and uh, what his desire is for me and knowing that we both serve a God who is much bigger than both of us.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's something that's so important to cultivate in our, our church relationships too. And I think it's one of the things that we are just scared of is that vulnerability and Having that friend who can see those things and point it out and say something's not right because then you have to address the issue yeah. and we can sometimes shelter ourselves from that.
0: And, and Pat, I can't remember if we talked about this, but um, I've got a brother who's just a little bit, he's about a year younger than I am and uh, love him to death, best friend. And he lives uh, in Chicago in a neighborhood that's a really challenged area. I mean, we've had a tough, tough season here in Toronto when it comes to, to gun fire and gun incidents. He lives in a neighborhood where it's every day, all the time. Uh, there's not a weekend that goes by in the summertime where they don't have 20 or 30 people shot in his vicinity. Wow. Um, it's incredibly tragic. But he's chosen with his family to live there to change the way that neighborhood is. And he's not CEO of a company But we can have great conversation. He's terrific at keeping me in check on things like money or time because his day-to-day life is very different than mine and that's a beautiful diversity that we have that we can be honest about saying, well, have you thought about this? And there's different things that I can add to him and there's things that he can add to my life. Um, Again, not based on necessarily the standards of the normal people that I might run with, but based on the standards that God sets for us.
1: Yeah, that kind of segues really well into uh, the next topic we wanted to discuss a little bit, which was stewardship of of our finances. And that topic has always uh, kind of weighed heavy on me, because I I resonate when I read, um, you know, the story of uh, Jesus speaking to the rich man, about how it's harder for uh, a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than to enter the gates of heaven. And I'm like, first of all, that's just hilarious, picturing that. uh, a A lot of humor in that example. Secondly, he's talking to me like he's talking directly to me because i probably have the amount of of wealth as similar to that man that he's speaking of relatively speaking i mean i did some calculations we are like by no means like i'm in ministry and my wife's in social work like we're not in lucrative careers financially but we're we earn in like the top four or five percent globally so there's this burden that i have like no matter how much i give like should I be giving more? What should I be? How should I be living within my means in a way that's glorifying God? Should I be legalistic about giving a certain amount of money? Or should I just tell myself that I'll just do it at any opportunity? As people who might be wrestling with this, how, how do they interact with that? How do I interact with that?
0: Yeah, it's a that's a terrific question. And I think your perspective, Pat, on hey, we're in the top four or five percent of the world. I can resonate with that because actually, when my wife and I met, it was uh, going on a trip to Mali, Africa, hmm. and we spent uh, a whole summer, uh, literally like an hour from Timbuktu, at the end of this road, right? And and that was our first experience together. And when I think about wealth, and I think about money, I'm like, let's get real here on on what we have versus the 99% of the world. Um, And how do we think about money and how do we think about resources, maybe even more generally um, in that context, right? And you'd have to be sitting back and kidding yourself if you didn't think, you know, God gave you the opportunity to earn whatever you've earned because he put you here in North America. He put you here in Canada. And he didn't put you in Mali, Africa, 20 years ago, where no one could even conceive of a cell phone at that point in time, right? And they just kind of knew Chicago and Michael Jordan, <laughs> and that was about it. And, uh, and so he's given you the ability to develop the resources that you have, whether it's through where you grew up or the educational opportunities you've had or the situation you live in right here and right now.
2: Um. As I hear you say that, I think uh, two. Uh, I think of two things. One, we have a great responsibility with the resources that we have. Uh, so that's one side of it, and the other side is like compassion fatigue, <laughs> because there is no end. Like, as you said, there's brokenness in us, but there's also brokenness in the world. There's no end of problems uh, that you could devote your time, effort, talents, treasure to. And so how do we balance or how do you balance? Uh, you don't have to speak for the whole world.
1: Phew. <laughs> how, do,
2: how do you balance between uh, stewarding resources and being responsible with like, you just, you just can't do it all?
0: yes Eric that's a that's a great question I know um, you know in economics there's a whole theory of doing whatever your comparative advantage is right so if I am even if I'm better at playing music than the guy next to me if I'm super better than everybody else at banking I should spend all my time doing that right even if I'm better than most people at one thing doesn't matter you should do whatever you're the very very best at relative to the, the rest of the world um, and, and you think about that in terms of, you could be a super talented person or you could be a not so talented person and it might always drive you to whatever you're very, very best at. That's not, I don't think that's the way God wants us to approach things, right? I think he wants us to look at the diversity of need that's out there. He does want you to use your skills to the best, but you can't, you can't help everybody with everything, uh, whether that's financial or whether that's skills or you name it.
2: After the break, We look at the balance between money and career and the role that faith can play in both. Today's episode is brought to you by Next. Hey Pat, do you remember your first day of university?
1: Yeah, it was kind of a blur though. I mean, I feel like I jumped into a sea of school spirit, social clubs, face paint, and I didn't know how to swim. It was actually super exciting and overwhelming at the same time.
2: I remember distinctly the moment my parents' green Windstar van door closed and they officially left me alone to sink or swim, living in residence with a roommate who I would soon discover hated me, with no friends and no foggy idea how I was going to make it. I mean, I really struggled in my faith that year and it wasn't until second year that I got hooked into a community of Christians that I really started to flourish.
1: Yeah, I think I prefer my experience to yours. I,
2: um, I do
1: too. Yeah, yours sounds kind of sucky. Yeah, it was. If
2: I had to go back in time, I would certainly try to figure that community piece out before the fateful van door closed.
1: Next is an initiative from Power to Change that exists to make that post-secondary transition a little less sucky by helping you find your next community. Get it? Next? Uh, next community? Uh, next? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's good, eh? For more information, head to p2c.sh slash next.
2: I'd like to maybe take one step back cause I feel like maybe the the shift to that and maybe just talk about the connection between money and career, because I think for most people that is the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. They pursue a career or they pursue a lifestyle that dictates a certain, uh, path for their life. And so money and career go hand in hand. Um, what would you say is your experience with that and with your coworkers and with people in the echelons of CEO? I don't know many CEOs, but uh, maybe you could comment on that.
1: Yeah, it's
0: interesting, right? Because I've always looked at targeting a lifestyle first based on what I think God desires for for me and, and for us as a family. And then whatever happens in the career side is is different if it is if it enables us to fund different things it doesn't necessarily fund our lifestyle um it gives us the opportunity to to, to give differently or or to invest differently in in from from god's perspective um but it's interesting because my wife and i have taught we talked about when we came from chicago to here like toronto's a really expensive place to live right even from chicago standards wow um and, and recently, we, we bought a house here. We're like, well, what kind of home should we buy? And we kind of said, well, it should probably be similar to whatever we lived in in Chicago. It's, it's not over the top. Um, it's in a, in a decent neighborhood. But I don't. We, we didn't aim on I need to live where every other CEO lives. And I don't need to belong to every club that whatever CEO lives in. Right? Even if I could do that, that's not what our goal is right? We want to be part of a community. And that's not the community that we necessarily want to be part of. That's not necessarily the community that we feel like God's called us to. Um, so, you know, we drive average cars and our kids do fairly average things. And, uh, you know, we have five kids, so we're not globetrotting either uh, as a family. We usually take car trips. Uh, you know, like I said, we took the train to Quebec City not so long ago, for example. And that's uh pretty normal stuff um and and we kind of planned our lives that way and uh, and that's a really good thing because you know i mentioned coming to toronto the only way we could afford to to buy a home here is if we kind of lived in a way that was successfully saving up and and investing and giving at the same time
1: i can tell you've been in toronto for a while just by the way you pronounce it (laughs) (laughs) there you go toronto you're a native (laughs) that's right only one t in that word <laughs> <laughs> that's great <laughs> i do um, i
0: do say a lot of process yeah organization uh and when i do go go back to the states with colleagues they do kind of call me out on it yeah we get a good chuckle <laughs>
1: <laughs> um one of the things that i i think i want to caution against uh because i experienced it in my old life is being so racked with i guess guilt from being you know Feeling like you have, you know, so much that God's blessed you with, and that you aren't blessing other people enough, and uh, people often have to remind me, like, you just have to sometimes like enjoy the good gifts God gives you. Like, it's not actually wrong to be able to enjoy certain things because God takes delight in your enjoyment too. Um, so, I don't know, like, what do you what do you think about that? What are some things that you take delight in or that you're able to enjoy?
0: Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question, and I tend to be again more risk averse, and I tend to be uh, have that same mentality. But but my wife's pretty good at calling me out on it. And and to be honest with you, like one frivolous thing that we did was we did get that puppy recently, and my family knew how much I wanted the puppy, right? They're like, and people are like, why do you want a puppy? Don't you have a busy enough life? Don't you have a busy enough thing? And I was like, you know what? Yes, it's going to be an expense. And yes, it's going to cost me some time, but it was just going to give me a lot of joy. And it's been funny because we've had her now for uh, three or four weeks. There are residual things that you don't realize sometimes that are benefits. Um, even what I would say are our godly benefits from those kind of things. My wife and I, we have met more neighbors in the last three weeks and whereas I thought, hey, this is going to be fun. I'm going to have a dog at home when I get home. I'm going to have this unconditional, loving, furry animal come up and, you know, give me wet kisses when I get home. And that's super fun. But it, it didn't even dawn on me at the time, and it should have probably, that I've gotten to meet so many neighbors.
2: Yeah, my wife and I met one of our neighbors down the street recently, and they said, you know, we've been here for a year, and we've met very few people. Uh, And we were like, oh, sorry. And they're like, well, you don't have a dog. (laughs) So it's not your fault. (laughs) We're we're not necessarily off the hook, but it's like a dog is a great avenue to meet people and go to the park. And I know that Pat has never been late for work ever since he got a dog because it wakes you up at, at what?
1: Oh, like six thirty, seven a. Like she just gets really needy and starts whining in the morning, and it's like a great, best alarm clock ever. You open the door and it's just all over you and waking you up with those. But that probably
0: wasn't what you were thinking when you bought the dog. No,
1: not at all. We we (laughs) thought we went through this exact same process. Like after we got the dog, we were like, "Man, our savings are going down." (laughs) Uh, We are like lose it like a a lot of the things that we own are like getting either eaten or like peed on or you know it's just like life is harder and to many of our friends it's like what is like why would you do this to yourself like it's not even like a human like you you don't even get the benefit of like turning it into an you know an adult that's a productive member of society (laughs) but then you know we we sit down and we think about it. We're like, we wouldn't go back because the 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 weird like amount of joy that we get from just like playing with this dog, like having excuses to go out for a walk, uh, just me and my wife and the dog, mm-hmm. like work on something together, train something together, and like just this like s- silly, stupid, unconditional love that this dog just gives you every day when you come home from work. There's just something like such a pure joy out of it, and we've kind of been learning to just. Not feel as guilty about like oh we're putting all this money into our dog uh, rather than giving it to you know X Y or or Z, and just you know enjoy the fact that like God delights in the joy that that dog gives us and probably laughs at the you know struggles that he gives us too.
0: Yeah, so yeah, you know, I, I am a cost benefit guy. There's no doubt about it, right? But um, but I do think over time God has taught me, you don't see the big picture, Ryan. You know there you don't necessarily see what kind of joy that you might be able to be providing others when, when you're able to kind of bless yourself with some of these things. And I don't make it a habit all the time, but, um, but I've probably been a little less serious than I probably have been over the years recently. And,
2: uh, I've seen the benefits. So we've talked about career. We've talked about success. We've talked about a bit of stewardship. So my question for you, uh, is like. What are some of the, the money 101 things that you wish you knew as a, as a younger person or you wish the church talked about or, um, you know, things that you're teaching your kids or what are those uh, principles that should be common sense but not, they aren't necessarily that you would share with us?
0: Yeah, you know, um, and this is a mathematical thing, uh, but the time value of money right? Uh, people who spend first and then figure out how they're going to pay for it. They're going to end up paying a whole lot more than they think, think they were paying for, you know, there's businesses based on credit and uh, distressed credit and the whole bit. And it's, and it's ugly. So, um, at the very minimum, uh, have buy stuff you can afford like it sounds to me that sounds really dumb but uh at the very core buy what you can afford um and and then uh, you know the corollary to that is think about an investment right so putting stuff aside and saving it whether it's saving for the future or saving and investing in the kingdom. Because there are definitely times when you're like, I am giving money because it's going to have a huge benefit. doesn't need to be a financial benefit. Um, But saving money that grows is a huge benefit too. So that whole time value of money thing, don't spend more than you can and saving it for a later day or knowing how you're going to pay for stuff in the future is is just enormous. Uh, Because I just see so many people go off track. You know, we're talking about risk insurance, the risk thing. Uh, well, I think about people's financial risks that they face and how much of it I see is self-imposed. And that really makes me sad. Uh, when I think about our, our kids, uh, I've been reading a number of books recently. There are some psychology books that are out there. They're like, yeah, at four years old, we test these kids with the marshmallow game. Have you ever heard of this? Um, yeah. Yeah, the marshmallow game. And I'm like, eh. so for those of you who don't know the marshmallow game, uh, you give a kid a marshmallow and say, hey, if you can just hold it. You can't eat it for I think a minute or two. Then we'll give you another one. But if they eat it in the first two minutes, that's it, right? And apparently, if a kid's able to hold out and get the two marshmallows, that's gonna that's the best signal of their future success. And that is a time value of money thing, right? Yeah. And uh, and I've talked about that with my kids now so many times they're all still not good at it and now that they're like 15, <laughs> they all have their
1: own versions of their marshmallow. At 15 years
0: go. old, they still can't hold on to it for two minutes. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I think there's there's a principle there that I think is valuable uh, for everyone. and I, you know I tend to relate that too. In to God's kingdom, like there's tough stuff that we go through here on earth that're gonna reap rewards in the way our character uh, develops over time and it means putting in some of the effort now.
2: Yeah, I recently sat my uh, 11-year-old son down and taught him about compound interest. and It's good math. Yeah, and uh, just watching his mind kind of explode when, when, excuse the pun, when the nickel dropped and he was like, I can be a millionaire it's <laughs> <laughs> just like I unlocked this superpower uh called compound interest where if he started investing now even small amounts it would you know explode so then we created this little spreadsheet and formula thing it's like how could we how could we get to a million how could we get to 10 million and and it made it a game and but he was it just like kind of exploded his mind but he'll never get there <laughs> because he <laughs> He wants to spend the money now. What's that marshmallow. Yeah, that marshmallow <laughs> is right. so good.
0: Especially the new like strawberry and chocolate marshmallow.
2: Oh yeah. Tasty.
1: You start introducing flavors in there beyond sugar. So oh. so
0: that so that's one. And I and I do think um that one I think is, is true for everybody. The other one too is understanding that they're in recognizing that there is a relationship between risk and reward when it comes to money. Um, you know, there there's a reason that entrepreneurs You read about great entrepreneurs, and they do really well, and they make a ton of money. They create a ton of value, but not all of them do, right? So just understand that you can get into something risky, and it'd be super fun, and that's great, but there's a much, much higher chance that you don't succeed, right? At the same time, if you pick something that's safer, may or may not be safer, but you may see it as safer, um, it's just going to have a more consistent trajectory, and and there's pros and cons to that. So just thinking about that continuum, that all opportunities are not the same, and you should have different expectations when you go into them.
1: Here's a question that we can ponder over. I don't know if we're going to have a definitive answer, but again, that's not the point of this podcast. It's just to discuss. (laughs) Um, Can you be too generous?
0: Can you be too generous? Um, You know, uh, I think maybe in hindsight (laughs) is the only (laughs) way to really evaluate that. (laughs) Um. And I I have seen people that I'm like, wow, you were too generous, and now you've put a you know, I know some people who they were extremely generous. They get older, and they put themselves in a financial burden that their children are like, what am I going to do? I have seen that. Now, again, that's in hindsight that you know when they were giving, when they were generous, they may not have expected. Uh, you know, the market to drop like it did back in 2008 or, or whenever. Right. So it's hard to really tell with that question. Um, in general, I would say, no, you can't be too generous because I just think our inclination is to be so selfish that if we can bias ourselves to being generous, we're probably maybe hitting the right mark.
1: Yeah, if you can try and swing the pendulum the other way, you might end up in the middle.
0: Yeah, yeah. so I, I just think mentally, that's probably the attitude we need to have.
1: Yeah, that's that's wise. I I think too, with my own finances, I'm more likely to skim off the top mm-hmm. and give what I feel to be generous uh, of that rather than, uh, I forget someone, someone wise obviously told me that like, unless it kind of like, hurts a little, like, is it really generous? Like, unless you're sacrificing something to yep. give how like how generous are you actually being and that always makes me think like okay if i'm just giving out of excess then like i'm probably just doing it to feel good but if i'm if i'm giving and it actually causes me to like you know reassess or sacrifice or look at things differently then that's uh that's a little bit of a good indicator even just like personally in your own heart is if you're being like generous
2: i think one of the things for me uh being in a ministry role for a not-for-profit Christian organization, raising support for my uh, salary. That has taught me so much about money and financial security and giving and all of those sorts of things. I have had a tremendous education in uh, doing that, and it has shaped my view of money. Uh, Obviously, not everyone is going to go into uh, financial supported role, what are some principles or exercises that you would suggest that people like, how do you, how do you go through? So there's the school of hard knocks, (laughs) but how do you, what are some books? What are some experiences that you would suggest people, uh, go through or try out that, uh, could help shape their, their view of money? i don't know that's a great
0: that's a great question um
2: like are there any books that that really shaped your view of money
0: you might have stumped me on that one in the sense that uh it feels like years and years of
1: accumulated experience, experience
0: yeah. and and education right so i have probably overeducated educated in the ways of, of money relative to most you know And i do think um gleaning from others' experiences when it comes to money. You know, we all think about money differently. We all handle money differently. And we all, uh, we all face different uh, headwinds and tailwinds when it comes to money in some sense, circumstances, right? So as you're talking about fundraising, I've had to do a little bit of of fundraising for example, but you know so much more about that than I have ever and, and may ever know. And, that kind of an element of, of faith and confidence that there will be provision, um, learning that vicariously through others is is huge, right? I do remember um, back when I was in university, I had like a, a day where I got to visit different career sites. And one was visiting a stockbroker. Back in the day, there were these stockbrokers, obviously it was a long time ago. Um, and he was telling me how he managed people's money and i had no idea about that career and i was like wow so you make money just telling people what to buy and then they just do it they just tell you to do that and i was like wow so just learn and and that taught me about what people valued how he ended up managing money and and so that was um just learning vicariously and you'll see even learning about industries like i talk about distress distressed loans. Wow. That tells you so much about people get into some very bad circumstances. Well, what can I learn from that? Mm -hmm. Um, so I would say you know, more life experiences. Unfortunately, I've had such a variety of, of informational material that that's a little bit harder. But one thing I, one thing I would say though, is that very basic money principles. That's all you need. Like you don't need to get super advanced on, uh, all the different financial mechanisms that are out there but there are some core things like i talked about with like time value of money if you understand that you understand a ton
2: yeah i i'll plug a book uh, that that really shaped my view of money it's called money possessions and eternity by randy alcorn mm-hmm. it's pretty thick his goal in writing the book was to create the textbook for christian worldview on money and in my personal opinion, I think he's done it. And, uh, I try to recommend it to people, but, uh, so there you go. If you, I'll check it out. Uh, it's, it's dense, but, uh, you seem like a guy who, who might, uh, not be scared of some dense reading. I can do it.
1: So one of the things that we, uh, like to talk about on on Undiscussed is, you know, sometimes we have, uh, uh, deficiencies as a as a church body or as a a christian community and um for for the amount that jesus talks about money we almost inversely don't talk about it and, and we avoid it and it's kind of a cultural thing too like just in the west like nobody does it's not just you know christians by any means it's in culture it's just rude hey how much do you make like that's offensive to most people how do we constructively and in a culturally sensitive way begin to be better as christians um in just talking about money more openly be like holding each other more accountable encouraging other where do we start
0: it's uh yeah it's a huge question right and i do think going back a little time it it does come back to there's a humility that's required right and i don't expect that we can do this well in groups of eight or ten people that is really hard you've got to build such a terrific transparency and like I said before, it's it's not so much the money, but it's the, the judgment of the decision making that comes with it, right? It's, Ryan, you took your family on that vacation. I can't believe you did that, right? And, and the fear that we have that we are being being judged uh, on a standard that may or may not be fair or they may not have all the insight, right? So that's it's, that's the part. It's the decision making part, not so much the money part does that make
2: any sense yeah for sure like i i know that um i have a friend who was also in ministry and you know you look at his facebook and he's got all these pictures of all these trips and vacations that he's gone on and and i've struggled with jealousy and i'm like how do you afford that on a ministry salary and blah 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 and like i but we're good friends so i've like you know confessed my envy of his trips and stuff and he's like I've had people bless me and give me vacations, or so. It, it's taught me you can't judge where someone else is getting the money or how they're using their money, yeah. or uh, just because they have a big fancy job doesn't mean that they're not giving lots and those sorts of things.
0: But that's a great example of a one-on-one conversation where you know his heart, and he knows your heart. Yeah. Right. I talked to my brother earlier. My brother understands we're in different economic circles right now, but if he came to me and said, hey, I don't understand why you're doing that, I wouldn't see it as judging me so much as he's looking out to make sure that am I really listening to what God says, right? He's not, he's not, um, he he is testing my use of money only to understand have I considered what God desires best for my life uh, and, and vice versa, right? He would take that from from me as well. So we'd be talking about money, but really, it's in each other's best interest not to condemn. Right. Does that does that help?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of times about how like money in my own life uh, like tends to help corrupt me. Like the more the more that I have expensively that like the more that I'm focused on it and that I I want to keep from losing it. To use my dog as an analogy, sometimes like we my wife had wanted this like beautiful blue couch she never wants anything in life like she never asked for anything and after we got married and we moved into a house that could fit a couch um or an apartment that could fit a couch we were like okay you know what like we're gonna get this couch and it's a beautiful nice blue couch and my dog spilt like stuff all over it and kind of ruined it we're like man we wish we didn't have nice things that we loved because (laughs) (laughs) now they get ruined and like it brings more stress into our lives but just thinking about how even uh just the the potential for, I guess, corruption in our hearts that money has, even in the way that we look at other people's money and just judge what yeah. other people are doing. It's the same thing that's happened when people are judging what we do with our money. And I've battled against that too, of just seeing like, you're in ministry, like how can you afford all this stuff? And trying to stop thinking about that and start thinking about, okay, well, how am I actually handling my money and my finances appropriately? And maybe redirect that back to myself. and
2: I, I find for me as well, there there are times that I'm like, God, you know, it'd be really awesome to win the lottery and I'd actually have to play it in order to win it. So I guess I'll never will, but. Don't play. It's not, it's not worth it. The (laughs) odds are not (laughs) with you. (laughs) 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 Spoken from a true actuarial guy. (laughs) Um, but, uh, you know, just thinking, you know, God, you know, you could totally bless me with all this money and that would solve all my problems and, and so on. And I, I keep coming back to, I actually have been freed up of so many problems by not having a lot of money and I don't have to worry about it because I don't have any. <laughs> and like, I, you know, Jesus says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And I just think how many woes and sorrows have I been spared because God has put me in, in a ministry position where you know, I don't have tons of money. And so then I, I there's not as much opportunity to corrupt my heart. I, I'm a bit of a, a glutton for, for pleasure and, and pleasurable experience. I love food. I love, you know, going out and having fun with my friends. And so I'm just like, what would money do to me if I got, you know, a couple million dollars in the bank? What would happen to my character, my soul? Uh, it scares me, you know. And so, yeah, I, I just think that uh god knows what's best for me Mm -hmm. and so
0: (laughs) and that's that's a great overriding principle right to be be content always challenge yourself i think but be content with what he's given you
1: yeah yeah i think a principle that's stuck in my mind for a long time ever ever since i uh i heard about it's just the idea that we've been blessed to bless others, like you were saying earlier about we were born in Canada, not because God was like, oh, you deserve a better life than they do, like, you know, somewhere else where they don't enjoy a lot of the same comforts. But no, we're because we've been blessed with this, we are now like called to bless others with it. And I think of that even in terms of the gospel, like when we receive the gospel, it's not like we're, we are not called, called to hoard it to ourselves and just say like, oh, no, no, it's mine now, not for you it's given to us so that it can continue to work through us into other people's lives. And i try to think about that similarly in terms of our, like the things that we've been given, like whether it's a home, like I've been blessed with like um, a place where people can come over and, and stay. And like, we can give them opportunity, like a place to rest or a place to just eat and feel comfortable. And the same thing with, with money is that if we've, we have this money, we should be able to to bless others with it so trying to just like run that over in my mind has kind of helped but i'm fighting over this internal sin of still wanting to like be comfortable and you know love the things in my life just despite my (laughs) convictions to do otherwise
0: comfort's a myth Yeah. yeah but but how can the things be used for others i think is always the question whatever scenario you come into i mean when we moved here the home we rented uh was a good size home. And we were like, wow, at, at our church here in Toronto, people don't have large living spaces, especially given here we have lots of singles. Um, and we said, we should be hosting as much as we can, because this is not our home. We have an opportunity to have, have rented it. But what, an, what a gift it can be to the community. So how can we use it to host people, right? Now we're um, we're doing some renovations on our home, but we were really saddened when, when there was a big fire here in Toronto and a, like about 1500 people lost their, lost their place to live. And we're like, oh, our first, my wife's first thought, I won't credit myself is darn, I wish we had space that we could have people stay here, but we don't have it yet, but it's regardless if it's money, if it's stuff that the money's purchased, how can you think about using that, uh, and think first about using that. for for other people.
2: As we kind of wind up our chat here, um, I got a couple questions on my mind. One is Pat mentioned earlier that, you know, Jesus talks about money tons in the new Testament. I think one of the, one of the things from that money possessions and eternity book, he says that Jesus talks more about money than any other single thing. And that blew me away. Um, But it, you know the reason we're in this undiscussed podcast with money is it's not the most thing that the thing that we talk about most in our churches and i i think part of that is because it's potentially uncomfortable for a pastor to say give from the front um but something my colleague said to me recently and i it really uh, really gripped me uh she said people have a, a greater need to give than the church or we as an organization, speaking of our organization, have to receive. And I wonder what you think about that.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's interesting. You know, your first comment around, like, you can understand how it's awkward for a pastor. I, I do think this conversation has got to be at a, a lay person level, right? It's got to be in the small groups. It's got to be peer to peer. I think that's where this has to come. And it's not something that's going to come from the pulpit, to be received effectively it's got to be a little bit more grassroots um and i i definitely think the need to for people to give and there's been a lot of studies on this right like people don't realize how happy they are when they give it does a lot for them more for them than it does for the people who are receiving um I had a situation it's kind of related back when I, when I started up here in Canada that I had an employee and in my department at the time, we had a deal where I said, okay, if you are going to ride a bike ride or do a walk or volunteer your time for an organization, um, I want to, I want to hear your story of what are you supporting and how are you doing it? And then I, I said, Hey, I'll, I'll kick in no matter what it is to, to help you. And, uh, One of the folks in my department came to me and said, it was after hours and I was there a little late and he was there late too. And he just stopped and he's like, hey, Ryan, what what are you doing? Like, why do you do this? Like, it was so completely foreign to him. And I think he may have immigrated to Canada maybe a few years before that. And just the concept of like charitable giving was was very foreign to him. And I said, you know, it's such an opportunity. So so I said, number one, uh, I, I believe in God and I believe that he's given me all things. And so when I'm giving, it's not me so much giving. I'm just kind of recycling what he's already given, right? And that is a beautiful thing, right? Recognizing that it's not my own. And he was just like dazed and confused there. He's like, what? This is crazy, right? But I got to tell you, that was like the highlight of my day by far, right? To have that conversation with him. And it was spurred only by the fact that I was... You know, help and support somebody on their, their bike ride or their walk for cancer or, you know, the um, Terry Fox run. It was awesome. Um, so the opportunity for us to give can spur some of those stories, too, about our faith. Mm. And I think that's that's dynamite.
1: Yeah, there's opportunity in the fact that giving is countercultural to so many people. And when you actually live that out, people have to pause and say, what is going on? Like, Why would you do this?
2: Well, it's our, our practice to give our guests the final word, the last word. Um, and so I wonder if there's anything that you'd love to share with the listeners to young people listening or to people who are just, you know, kind of checking us out.
1: And yeah, just make sure it's really good and super memorable. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, well, I would I would say a couple things. One,
0: um, every, everybody is a person. Right. And, and I think no matter where you are in your career, realize that people who are above you, below you, next to you on the street, we're all made in the image of God. We all eat, breathe, and sleep, right? And we, regardless of how much money that you make or the talents that you've been given or the resources that you have, honoring people and listening to people is so important. I know there's many people that come to me and they're like, uh, they assume like, I'm like a smart guy or something, but I really have so much more to learn from them. And I think just recognizing that we, we make these kind of fake plateaus of people, uh, but under God, we're we're all the same, or maybe even inverted, right? Um, so that would just be one thing, challenge yourself to reach out to somebody who may not be in your same stratus and pick their, pick their brains, right? Diversity makes us so different. And I, you know, talking about money, interacting with people who are of a different socioeconomic perspective as you are or have a different background on money is an awesome way to challenge, uh, challenge yourself. Um, and then, yeah, the, the last thing I'd say is what I think, I love what you guys are doing around undiscussed because everybody needs a community where they can bring topics to each other that aren't getting discussed somewhere else. I mentioned the guys from university. I mentioned my brother. Um, you're bringing the topics in a podcast forum but everybody needs a community where this can get hashed out for real in their lives, not just bring the topics, but how, how can it change their hearts? So, uh, yeah, I thank you guys for, for bringing this to the table.
1: It's been a pleasure, uh, interviewing you. It's a great opportunity to hear what you have to say on the topic of money. And we love, uh, discussing the undiscussed. So this has been, uh, quite the pleasure. Mm.
2: This episode of Undiscussed was produced
1: by Patrick Erskine and Eric Humphrey. Editing done by Ben Skinner and the music was produced by Ian Post.
2: Go to p2c.sh undiscussed to find more episodes, show notes, and information about our podcast.
1: That's p2c.sh undiscussed. Also remember to subscribe if you like what you hear and you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at UndiscussedPod, all one word. If you've got feedback for us,
2: don't leave it undiscussed. Next week on Undiscussed, we'll talk about grief and loss with Dave Martin.
0: We learned from the experience of loss that it's always right to go to someone who is in grief, even if they can't receive you. For them to invite you into their grief is paralyzing. How do they they begin to let you in? They, They don't know the tools
2: or the process.
0: There had been a network of phone calls, as you can imagine, people caring about us, calling their friends, calling their family. And we had a number of people who came to the hospital immediately, just interrupted their lives and arrived. I'll never forget that.